0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We have been in our series on the art of joy at all of our campuses. How many of you enjoyed this series? God's been doing some work in you. It's just been phenomenal. I know for me, just the studies and hearing the heart of what Paul has, uh, this, this kind of the joy theme has just come alive and it's challenged. I mean, you've been challenged every week. It's just been a challenging message. We've challenged. If we go back, we, we How many remember to sing in the rain? I mean, how many know our God is faithful to complete the work? We've been challenged to do that. We looked at what it means to live as Christ. We also looked at what it means to have him make your joy complete. We're also challenged to shine like stars. And over the past two weeks, we've kind of dove in to kind of the profit and loss and how to press on and face forward. God's been good. Amen. Amen. We are closing out the series today, and uh, we're ending with this kind of theme of how do we protect this joy? How do we protect this joy? We've talked all along how to find joy, how to build joy, how to keep joy, and this morning we're ending on protecting ourselves from, I believe, maybe the number one thing that can steal your joy, steal your joy. If you have Bibles, you can take them out and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians chapter four. While you're turning there, just just someone next to you, just talk to them. Tell them one thing that makes you anxious. Just go ahead and share that with your neighbor as you're turning in scripture. Just like first service, you guys are hardcore. Nothing makes you anxious. I'll be transparent. I'll let you guys in, uh, in with with me. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm in this kind of predicament. I, I love traveling and I love going places, but, but traveling makes me a little anxious. I have four kids, so on top of that, it just makes it even more anxious. And I, th- I, I think it's the fact, like I hate not knowing where I'm going when I'm in a vehicle. Like, I'm not the typical person. I will stop 47 times to get directions. Like, I hate... Uh, not knowing where I'm going, especially, I know we live, our traffic is crazy, but I kind of know my way around a little bit after living here for some time. But like when I go to another big city and I'm driving a car and I'm just like, is the turn here? Is the turn here? And I want to tell the GPS, I don't know how to judge 1,000 feet in a car. Like I, I don't, is that here? Is that, I'm trying, you don't want me to look at my cell phone, but I need to look at my cell phone because I, and you know, all those things, it just, it, 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 it it makes me anxious. It makes me anxious. On, on another end of the spectrum, I'll let you in again. Uh, some things that make me anxious. I, I don't like mice. There it is. I, I said it. Confessed. In fact, I, I would rather see snakes than a mouse. I, I feel like a mouse. He's creepy and he can get in places and he's weird and he does those things. I feel like he can. He's pretty fast. I feel like the snake just kind of. He's coiled up, hanging out. And I could deal with that. But the mouse, he's fast, and he moves. And I don't do mice, rodents, gerbils, hamsters. Pfft, uh-uh. <laughs> they're just, they're gross. They're, they're gross. Anxious. What, what, what makes you anxious? Now, some of you in here, when, you, when we ask that question, you're like, nothing. I'm good. I'm awesome. I ain't scared. You know, whatever you want to say. I mean, I said, uh, others of you, I, I kind of cut you off. Because you were going through a list of things of anxiety, like, I worry about the future, I'm afraid of the dark, travel, oh, snakes, I'm afraid of snakes, uh, I don't like men with beards, you know, you'd say all those, <laughs> all of those, all those things that, that make you anxious. You see, here's the fact, if we, if we look around at society, our society, if we're not careful, is run by fear and worry. The economy, the money situations, the government, the control, the natural disasters, the abuse, the hurt, the pain, and on and on and in. And we're, we're worried, and when we're worried, we are driven by it. We're driven by it. In fact, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 40 million Americans over the age of 18, over the age of 18, are affected by anxiety. That's roughly 18% of the nation's population. That's about one out of every five people struggle with anxiety. Today, I, I want to dive into this scripture kind of as Paul's final charge, his final exhortation to us. I, I want to I let you know, first of all, what we've been talking about this whole entire time, that this joy is a choice for us to live in. And one of the greatest thieves of joy is anxiety, It's anxiety. Stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Philippians chapter four, we're gonna pick up at verse four. Your notes say six, but we're gonna start with verse four because it's good. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. Are you thankful that the Lord is near this morning? Are you thankful that he's near? The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Watch this. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Father, today, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that it is powerful. But we know in a room like this, this is a struggle. Uh, there is uncertainties. There is worry. There is fear. But God, I thank you this morning. We can stand upon the promises of your word that you are near. That you are here with your peace. And so God, I pray that that would be evident today and it would produce transformation in us and through us. And we would leave here ever changed. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One more time, look at your neighbor. Tell them they look good. (laughs) Paul, he's, again, he's... He's ending with his final thoughts, his exhortation to the church, and, and he hits this important need, this important need for you and I to protect our joy. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. And, and I look at this, if anybody has a right to worry, and it's kind of what we've been talking about all through this series, how I many of Paul has a right to worry? Everything about his life, listen to me, is uncertain. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's writing these letters to these churches that he's launched, these churches that he started, these churches that he sent pastors to. He doesn't know what their outcome is gonna be. He doesn't know how they're gonna stay refreshed and restored after he's gone because his death is imminent. It's getting ready to happen, and he knows that. And he's in this situation. If anybody's got a right to be anxious in this moment, it's Paul. It's Paul. Uncertain future. Uncertain future. And even particular to this letter, this the church of Philippi is a little unrest. They have this shy pastor kind of that he's writing letters to too, and some things are going on, and they're trying to figure this all out. And he says, Listen, I I don't want I don't want your joy to be robbed. I think it's kind of our our warning today. I mean, you know, we face, we face a lot of unknowns and the things in the everyday and we worry about the future and all the unrest and the things that go on. So as we conclude our series, I wanna talk about this topic of anxiety because you see, anxiety is a thief. Anxiety is a thief. And its goal is to squash and to steal your joy. Again, this, this whole thing, we've been building joy and the thing that will steal it and wreck it is this anxiety and this worry. In fact, anxiety actually means to be pulled in different directions, to be pulled in different directions. You're literally halfway between hope on one side of knowing that there could be this great outcome, and yet fear on this one side of knowing that you don't know, and you don't know, and you don't know. Anxiety. Anxiety is often born out of what we don't know. How many know that? That's when we start to worry. It's what we don't know you begin to wonder you begin to ask questions you begin to imagine all kinds of possibilities questions like why anybody ever asked that question why 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 did this happen why me and when we can't figure out the why it sends us into this kind of anxiety questions like how how could how could this happen how how could how how is this going to work out how how And when we, we can't see the answer to the how, we try to figure out the answer to the how. And trying to figure out the answer to the how, we get, we get anxious. Questions like when. This one this one where I struggle. I was transparent with you a couple weeks ago. This, I struggle with the when and the timing. And when's the timing and, when, and when's it going to happen? And, and we're, we try to orchestrate and manipulate things so we can control the time to answer when. And then when doesn't happen, we get We get anxious. Anybody ever ask the question, what if? Questions like, what if? What if this happens, or what if that some happens, or what if somebody sees, or what if this is broken? When we don't know the what if, we become anxious trying to change things to kind of control the outcome and the end results. Here's the fact. I, I'm just, again, being transparent. Ultimately, here's how I feel. If, if I know the why, and if I know the how, and if I know the when and the what if, I can relax. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm moving. I'm out of control. But how many know most things in our world are not in our control? And so it's this constant state. We don't have control, and so we become anxious. Now, here's the thing. What I found in my life, and this is the dangerous fact, is as we start working through these questions, and especially when we're not getting the answers that we want to get, then we start moving into the God questions, where we take these questions of the situation and we force them on God. So we say, why, God? We say, how, how could this happen, God? We say, when will this happen, God? will say, well, what if, God? What if this happens, God? And we force these questions. And I want to encourage you this morning, what this, this morning is about, is super practical, is that Paul is going to give us the formula that kind of empowers us to defeat anxiety. You guys ready? You have your bulletins, you can take them out, you can follow along. Number one, the first thing you're going to see I know this is really simple and it's something that we talk about all the time, but it's right in the text. It says, choose to pray. Choose to pray and everything pray. First thing Paul tells the Philippians about anxiety is that you have to pray about everything. Now, this is my thought. I don't think Paul is necessarily telling us to pray more, although praying more is important and and doing that and, and having that a part of your life. I think Paul is looking at He's trying to get us to change our reaction. That actually your instinct, your first instinct should actually be to pray. I don't know about you, but that's not often my first instinct. That's not often my first reaction. And actually my, my human nature, probably your human nature, is we, we try to fix everything on our own. Any fixtures in here? We try to fix everything on your own. Uh, when my wife, Jessica, is upset, my first reaction to should be to comfort and console, but often my reaction is to, I'll fix it, baby. <laughs> Just let me handle it. Do you want me to take my shirt off too while we're doing this? Because like... that solves everything, right, guys? You know, like... Uh, I know what you need. Uh, and so we, we, have, we have this reaction. We have this reaction to fix it that we want. We want to fix it on our own. We want to fix it on our own strength. I want to fix it so you won't be broken or I won't be broken. And it's hardwired into us. But guess what happens when we try to fix it ourselves? Anxiety, right? And we start to go round and round, and we become anxious, and we start, when things don't start working, we we jump into overdrive, and we start going from one solution to the next. And as solutions start to fail, we get more anxious. We have these rationales in our head, well, well, maybe I'm, I'm the problem. And we go through this kind of pity party and this thing. And then, as that explores, when we realize we're doing everything we can, we come to the conclusion that it must be everybody else's problem. Right? And so we blame everybody else for our situations and our problems and the things that we go go through and we blame. And what Paul is trying to say is that when you fix, when you control things that you can't, when you try in your own strength, you miss it. Your joy is robbed. And you live anxious. So what does he do? He implores us in this crazy statement. I think this statement is crazy. Be anxious about nothing. How on earth, what does he say? By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So through prayer... So how, how do I do this? Through prayer. That intimate relationship with the Father, through, through petition, which actually is defined as a humble request of laying your rights, your situation down. And then there's this crazy tag that says, with thanksgiving. With, with thanksgiving in the situation, present to God. I want you to get this statement. I want, I want you to get this statement. Your transition from anxiety to joy, the thing that you need in the middle, the thing that gets you through is Thanksgiving. It's an amazing thing coming out of this season. Some of you are very thankful this week and you saw what God did and you counted all your blessings and how many of you know the attitude just just changes in the house? Except when crazy cousin walks in the door. Your attitude just changes. When we're thankful, it, it just starts to... See, the, the transition from anxiety to joy is thanksgiving. Watch Paul. Watch our text. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say well, jo- rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence in all that the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Every situation, present your prayer So the idea here of praise and worship the idea of that intimate relationship with God, the idea of you and I understanding that the Lord is near, the idea of having that decision to worship says, I'm not gonna be anxious. I'll approach my situations. Even though I am completely uncertain, even though they may be completely unknown, my request, what I will do is I will lay them before the Lord and I will do it with a thankful heart and thanksgiving. Praise and worship. The transition from anxiety to joy is is praying and worshiping with thanksgiving. And now things like, I mean, James 5 starts to come alive, that the prayer of the righteous, the prayer of the righteous man is is effective and powerful and it produces much as we lay that before the Lord. And that when we choose to let go with thanksgiving, the scripture tells us that that peace starts to invade. That peace of God that transcends our understanding that we don't even get or comprehend starts to invade because I am constantly rejoicing in the Lord and laying that before him. And so I got, I got to thinking what would happen that instead of asking those questions, asking why or how or when or what if, what if I committed to pray with thanksgiving? That when worry kicks in, that instead of trying to fix every situation myself and take control of my own lives, I actually surrender that to the Lord and say, God, you can have it if I really let God carry the burden. Peter tells us in in 1 Peter chapter five that I'm to cast all. I love that, because that's everything. That's your fear of mice and your fear of being alone. That's everything. (laughs) I I cast all, all anxieties, all cares before the Lord. Why? I love the tag, because he cares for you. Because we serve a God that is near, who cares for you? He can handle it. So I give, I, I give my anxiety over to him. I give my burdens over to him and I start to pray about everything and Paul tells us that what will happen is we will experience God's peace and, and it's, you can't even understand it. You experience it. And this peace, not only do you not understand it, but this peace will put up a guard in your life. It'll put up a guard in your heart. It'll put up a guard over your mind and it will protect your joy. Pray with thanksgiving. Number two, think about the right things. This is super simple. Think about the right things. Finally, brothers and sisters, I like that. Here, I'm, cor- I'm, I'm coming down everything to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever's admirable, anything excellent, praiseworthy, think about this. This, this, is, this is very practical, and you guys know this. You guys are probably familiar with this, but it's kind of the phrase is, what you feed will thrive, and what you starve will die. What you, what you feed will thrive, and what you starve will die. There's also a phrase going on right now. Here, here's the problem is our culture is counterintuitive of this. Everything about our culture thinks on the opposite of these things. We live in a negative, complaining culture. How many of you would agree? Everything's negative. Everything's, and, and even the word they're using is Toxic. There's toxic environments, there's toxic people, there's toxic situations, and sometimes I think we kind of wade knee-deep in our waders in toxicity. We're just kind of hanging out here, and we're kind of receiving advice from toxic people, and we're letting toxic things enter our life and enter our hearts and we're not guarding ourselves with the word and the promises of the word when well, that's why Paul says you got to think on things that are good, that are noble, that are lovely, that are holy, that are admirable, that are excellent and there's this waning to go over here. And here's the thing, some of us, we wade in toxicity every single day and we, we, we think, oh, it's not going to affect me. The next thing down the road, we're, I hate everyone, I hate my job, I hate, like, like you have to protect yourself. You see you see what, what you give into, what, what you allow to have influence in your life, what you dwell on, what rules your heart, what rules your thoughts, what rules your checkbooks will have influence and power in your life. Paul again. Every right to be negative, every right to be frustrated, every right to be discontent, every right to be hurt, every right to feel abandoned, every right. Yet his final advice to the Philippians, his warning, was listen, church, focus, focus. If you really wanna, if you really wanna give God control, make the conscious effort to focus on the good. Let's go. We get a lot, there's a lot. There's a lot of complaints. I, I do this in my life. Like, there are so many things happening in a day, and this river is flowing good, and this, things are happening, but it's that one negative thing. And it just completely derails us. No one cares. No one loves me. No, like, Did you see all the love and all the care and everything that was given to you and everything? And one event. It's just. Yeah. I do it with my kids. I'm, I'm transparent. I do, I do it with my kids. The, the, everything's going good. And that one time, that one time somebody punches somebody. Ah! You know, just... <laughs> one time. For the, you know. Anyway. And we do that because what we do is we see negative and we, gra- we kind of gravitate towards that because we just have an expectancy of everything's supposed to be okay. Paul, chained to a Roman guard, says, Think on the good. Think on the good. What's God doing? What's he working out here? What's he making me into? What's he building in my story? What platform is he taking me through? Oh, I know I'm gonna have hardship, but God said he's not gonna give me any more to bear, so he must be working something out. He must be doing something. Whatever is true. Not false, whatever is noble, not dishonest, whatever is right, not the wrong, whatever is pure, not the impure, whatever is lovely, not the ugly, whatever is admirable, not the despised, whatever is excellent, not the inferior, whatever is praiseworthy, Focus there, not on the shameful or deplorable. And what we have to do is as we get protective, listen to me, about what you expose your heart to, the things that can steal your joy, you get protective about that stuff. And you start to look for the good and look for the right. And if you put this into practice, you'll have joy. I'm telling you. A positive person. Having joy, understanding that there is actually people who are good. That God is going to work something today. That I can bring the light of Jesus to the situation. That I can show them the goodness of the Lord. That his mercy endures forever. That his kindness lasts. That I can bring that out. That is, it's a good day. Yesterday may have been bad, but what? His mercies are new today, so we'll start over again. Everything you've seen and heard me do, when you get all this, when you watch me, when you watch how I behave chained in this prison, when you do this, do it, and God's peace will be with you. There it is again. There's a pattern here. God's peace protects us when anxiety strikes. The opposite of anxiety is peace and the peace produces this incredible joy. This peace will guard your heart. It'll keep you from falling apart emotionally. It'll keep your mind secure. And when you choose this, what what would happen is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I love it, where we have to take those thoughts captive and God moves and he works and we see the goodness and that the Lord is in control. Number three, trust God in everything. I gotta move. Trust God in everything. Verse, verse 12 and 13. We didn't read this in the beginning, but I, I want you to go here with me. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know why Paul can say that? It's because Paul has this trust with the Lord. Paul has this relationship with the Lord. And so he's not overly anxious. He doesn't let worry get a hold of him. Do you know what actually worry means? Worry has a connotation in the Greek that it actually means to be strangled. To, to, to literally be strangled. And that's precisely what adores. It, it strangles you. It strangles you physically, mentally, and emotionally. And when we worry, here's the crazy fact that I'm coming to the realization with. And I want you to get this, and I say this out of love. When we worry, we aren't trusting God. When we worry, we're not trusting God, we're trusting ourselves. We're, we're putting everything on us instead of trusting in the very one who said in Luke chapter 12, don't worry about life because it's more than food and clothes. Aren't you more valuable than the birds and the flowers? And he said, don't do that. And he goes on again and says, can your worries add a single day to your life? What do you worry? Here's the, here's the thing about Paul. As he, chose, as he chooses to walk in joy, as he prays about this, as he moves through this process, as he thinks about the right things, he trusted in God, which ultimately from this scripture, what we just read, that Paul was content. Paul was content. I want to tell you one a key, a key antidote for you keeping your joy is contentment. The opposite is always wanting more and always thinking you're not satisfied or or you, you don't now listen, I'm not I'm not talking about apathy and laziness. What I'm talking about is a holy contentment that God is your source and your provider. I'm telling you what, I I struggle with this in my own life and there there is a habit to want to move to the next season. There's a habit of wanting to continually push up to the next season and find the next place. Our society builds this in us from early on. We wanna to move to the next. We want to. And, and some of you right now, you're looking for that next job inv- uh, promotion when God has you there for a season and for a reason and for a particular purpose. Why? You may be the only Jesus that people see in your situation and in your purpose. And so often we're ready. We, we have this escape theology that we gotta get out. God, get if you love me, Lord, you would take me out of this season. No, if he loves you, he's gonna keep you there, he's gonna refine you, he's gonna make you better, he's gonna use you to bring Jesus' kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's gonna do. God has it for you, has it for you. He's content. Now, now, Philippians 4.13, I I love that verse. We hear it used all the time by, by athletes who accomplish great feats. And it's kind of the famous verse that you can accomplish through Christ who gives you strength. But here's the whole point of it. The whole point is Paul is able to say that because he's content. I'm content in the Lord that he's my provider, that he's my source. So the spirit of him that lives inside of me, it's about contentment. It's not about him mustering up something. It's about his contentment that he has in the Lord as, as a source. You see, he says, if I'm content with Christ, I can go without necessities because the Lord is near, because I trust in him. And I know what it's like to be in need. He said, if I'm content with Christ, I can be wealthy without catering over to greed, without falling into that trap because I know that God has blessed me and given me everything that I need in this moment right now. If I'm content with Christ, I can trust him in every situation I find myself in want and need and and, and famine and whatever, I I am content. And you see, at, at the end of our day, get this, at the end of our day, our anxiety is that spot where we are mistrusting God. But contentment says, I fully trust you. I fully trust you. I believe if we're content, if we can trust that God is doing something and working through something, you can have incredible joy. As we conclude this morning, I, I, I want to get to this point that anxiety is this thief of joy. And what would happen if that, in, instead of asking all of these questions and trying to fix and trying to work ourselves, if we just, if we just trusted in the Lord, if we just said, "God, it, it's yours." If you were with us four or five weeks ago, I was able to share the message in Philippians chapter three about the surrender process. If we're able to surrender, if we're able to let go, if we choose to say, God, I'm going to boldly offer these prayers of thanksgiving to you. I'm gonna to choose to pray instead of question. I'm gonna to choose to trust. I'm gonna to choose to think on, think on the good and trust in you in the situation. The crazy thing happens, happens in my life. This peace of God comes in and invades. How would that change your life right now? How would that change your situation for those people around you? God's desire through this series is that every day to walk in joy, but it's this choice that we have to make is that, Lord, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna commit to pray and to love you and to put you first To think about the right things and to trust you, even though I don't always see. I think sometimes we we just kind of say these verses and just kind of want to end here this morning is that this verse is a challenging verse. This passage is a challenging scripture. By no means do we expect you to have it have it perfect. We actually believe this is a process. For many of us in here, thanksgiving is a process. I think, I think the more thankful I am, what I'm finding in my life, the more my thanksgiving increases, the more my anxiety starts to wane. The more, the more I'm thankful and the more I acknowledge that the Lord is near and the more that I'm in his presence and the more I, it's like this, this anxiety starts to wane. And out of nowhere, this peace comes in that God's got it, that he's in control. Now, this is a process that God is, is taking you on. I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for some of you who are in situations where you feel like they're, they're beyond control. You're hurting, you're worried. Um, I had this thought and I was, drove in early this morning. I was up about 4.45 this morning. Just praying, asking the Lord. And uh, I had this thought, some of you will say, you know, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not really anxious. I don't operate in a life of fear, and and I would probably agree with that for myself. But there's this thing that when I, I try to fix things for so long, I just get in a wreck. I I feel like it's like, ugh. And God dropped this line into my, my heart is that. Maybe you'd say, I'm not really anxious right now, but I'm angry and I'm frustrated. You see, I believe anger and frustration is compounded anxiety. Maybe I'm not really anxious and I'm not really operating in fear, but I live in a state of constant frustration, and if I'm honest with myself, I get angry a lot. And the fruits of the Spirit that are supposed to be operating evident in my life, I I find just very few glimpses of those. And the idea of thinking on on these things, man, I I lean more towards thinking on the other things. I want to encourage you today, just, I want to encourage you today that this idea that you have to have it all together, I say this all the time in here, This idea that you have to be perfect, this idea of organizing. Paul, chained to a Roman guard, says, Listen, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about life. I'm not worried about death. I'm not worried about these sons in the faith that I've put everywhere. I'm not worried. Because I serve a God who's the Alpha and the Omega. I serve a God who's in control. I serve a God, and, and what, instead of me worrying, if I could cultivate in my life to say, thank you, Lord. If I could cultivate in my life is to continue to sing from my lips that you are good, even when I don't feel it. If I could continue to cultivate that attitude of, of, of a thankful worship, notice that command, rejoice when... Always. If Lord, you could help me, if I could start this process of ongoing rejoicing, God, I want that in my life. So when I wake up, God, and I face that situation that is beyond my control, that I really don't want to be in, that I kind of despise when I face this relationship that is super, super difficult in my life, I will rejoice. Psalm 63. Lord drop this in my heart in first service. Listen to this just real quick. It's not on the screen. Just, Just hear me out. Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Now watch. In a dry, and weary land where there is no water. David saying, God, I don't like where I am. I am dry, I am weary, I don't like the state that I am. God, I thirst for you, I need you. So, oh my God, you are my God. Now watch verse two. Look at what he does, it's so key. I have seen you. What tense is that? I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory because your love, look at that declaration. Your love is better than life. What does he say? My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long, when? As long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. There's the surrender. Verse five says, my soul will be sat, will be. He's in the desert, but he says, my soul, my soul, something that can't, the, the outside circumstances don't affect. My soul will be satisfied with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Real quick. The art of joy is rejoicing. The art of joy is you and I making a conscious decision, no matter how we feel, where we've been, what we've done, is to say, God, my God. I'm in the desert, but I thirst for you. I love that. I'm in the desert, but but you know what? I, I thirst for you. So here's what's gonna happen, God. My lips will praise. No, praise is not complaining. Praise is not complaining. My lips will praise. Your love is better than life. Listen, here's why I do that. How many of you have seen him in the sanctuary? Come on, how many of you have beheld his glory? How many you know that his love is better than life? That being in his hands is the best possible place to be? Although you may feel down, discouraged, struggling, walking through a trial, walking through a test, your love is better than life. So I choose to rejoice. I choose to rejoice. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.